It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome to the Bloodgrounders show. My name is Josh, and we are joined by Nick. It has been a minute, but he is back. Nick, how are we doing? Uh, doing good. Beautiful summer day and lots of transfer news. So that's always fun. Yeah. So we're going to start off with the Nations League because I want to find out, do you care about the Nations League, the UEFA Nations League? We're going to talk about the U.S. Mm. national team later, but uh, the UEFA Nations League. Should I care that Spain won? I think so. Um, I think it keeps things competitive. The friendlies I don't watch. Even that like Brazil game earlier this week against Senegal, I just can't get up and watch a friendly game. I, it's hard to know what the motivation of the players is going to be. So at least with the Nations League, if you have a trophy on the line, uh, it's possible that you know you can watch the teams and see if they're bringing their best players. Some might actually care about it more than others. But I do think what we've seen so far is an increased level of competition and uh, you know more high-quality games to actually tune in for. And I think these trophies do matter to players. Anytime you put a trophy on the line, they're going to go for it. So um, I think kudos to Spain for making it happen. And for the opportunities it gave to a player like Ansu Fati to, um, you know, to to play hard and in a meaningful game again. Yeah, a manager actually played Ansu Fati. It was interesting. Uh, Spain actually, I mean, listen, they had the most classic Spain final ever, except for the fact they won the penalty shootout. It would have been classic Spain if they had had 21 shots, uh, more of the possession, and then lost in the penalty shootout. But they actually won the penalty shootout, which was nice to see. Um, yeah, improvement for sure. Did you have so Gavi had you know a bit of a situation right where there's I mean do we even do you want to talk about it because to me the whole Gavi getting booed and jeered it's a microcosm of problems you have in a lot of countries which is a small segment of people being noisy and getting a lot of attention. Is it more than that to you or is it just some some wackos right? Yeah, I mean it's also the Spanish um, culture and by that I don't mean. Um, by that, I mean specifically the, the dynamic between Barca and Real Madrid on the national team. And the history truce. that goes on there. They always have a truce, right? Isn't that the thing? I think ever since winning the World Cup in 2010, there has been a truce because they were just an incredible generation, even though the Barcelona players were predominantly the ones that contributed to that success. But there were others. Give oh, why'd you have to throw that, that was, jab in there? Come on, yeah. you don't have to throw that uh, jab the, in you there. Know, 
Uh, Sergio Ramos was on that team. He did a great job. I know that. I think Casillas was the goalie at that time still. So they were Real Madrid players as well, but had the identity of Barcelona. But prior to that, my understanding is, and I'm, I'm still young enough to not really have followed these games at that time, that, you know, if you were a Catalan or a Barcelona fan, you just didn't care about the national team for a very long time. It was uh, something that you just didn't identify with or didn't cheer for. So even right now, maybe it comes down to the fact that they're just a small minority of local people. I think that the national team does have a lot more unity. I don't think that culture exists as much anymore. The uh, antipathy between the Barca and Madrid fans and how that kind of factors into the team. I think there's been a lot of uh, good uh, just unity in recent years. But um, I still think that this team has more Barcelona identity than Real Madrid identity because Real Madrid still goes out and mostly has um, international players who contribute to their success. And Barcelona still has a lot of great Spanish nationals. So, but the, yeah, you know, for the, I think it was just a small vocal, uh, few fans that uh, kind of disrespected him. I think most of them appreciate the fact that Spin won a trophy and Gabi contributed a lot to the success. Let's talk about uh, some Barcelona offseason business. Let's talk about Ilkay Gundogan. So I was, you know, I mean, this was like every, I don't know, every Barcelona transfer over the last couple of years where, the rumors were, as the season was winding to a close, like, oh, this is done. He's definitely coming. And meanwhile, he's Manchester City's one of their top, you know, three or four most important players on the run to a treble. In my mind, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, this is just his agents putting out a little leverage. Barcelona is always the candy, right? It's always, oh, I'm going to go to Barcelona in order to get a longer contract. Uh, it actually seems like he's he's coming. And I I'm a little shocked. I'm a little surprised. I guess maybe he's he's accomplished it all with City. Uh, he wants to go live in Spain. Who can blame him? Um, what does this mean for Barcelona and the La Liga midfield battle that is now just like from generation to generation now? We've gone from the you know the 2010s generation of the midfield battle with Modric, Cruz versus you know Xavi, Iniesta, uh, and now we're entering this new century or this new decade, right, of Barcelona versus uh, Real Madrid midfields and Although Gundogan is older, right? He joins yeah. already he's arguably he's arguably, you know, joining one of the probably top five or six best midfields in the world. And he gives them a level of depth and rotation now that it if you know Gavi or Pedri are out for a game or two, it's not the end of the world, right? You have another midfielder you can slot in who can do what he wants to do. What does he bring to this team? Well, for one, he has an eye for a goal. Uh, it's the one thing over the years that's just amazing. You looked at this guy, and you're, I remember the years ago, I was like, who is this guy, and how can he be effective? Uh, but he's you know, a great attacking midfielder. He's pretty versatile. I think he even played in a double pivot a few times for Pep Guardiola in Manchester City. So the versatility is also very nice, not knowing who the pivot's going to be. Um, I don't think you want him to play low. I think you want him to play high. And he goes for goal. He scores goals. Um, he's a very effective player, and he's a very smart player who – that Guardiola loved over the years and relied on. He's one of the players that there have maybe a, a few a few uh, periods of time where he was dropped for somebody else. You can't really blame him. There's a lot of great midfielders at Manchester City, but he's one of the good ones. This is not like Man City um, putting one over us again with Ferran Torres or Eric Garcia, who are big question marks. This is someone who is 100% proven. He will turn, I guess, 33 in October. So most of this three-year contract, he's going to be 33 to 36, which – for midfielders, is tough. Like, it's the one position where you need legs to get around the field. Maybe a little bit less so in a Barcelona system where it's so passing-based. But that's the only question mark that you have. But look what he did against Manchester United. That first goal he scored was incredible in the like first 30 seconds of the game. And then he did it with his left foot for the second goal. Uh, so I think he's going to fit in great and give depth to the team, especially in this first year. 
And I think a little bit of veteran leadership in the midfield that is so young at Barcelona is going to be extremely helpful and valuable to the team. Yeah, and I think thinking about his age, um, being in a or in his like you know having to run around and all that. Obviously, you still have to run around, but having players around you like Pedri, like Frankie, when Frankie's enabled, he's a runner, right? And so being able to have all those other midfielders around you that have the legs, are young. Like he's just going to be able to like not sit back and like slowly move around, but his eyes for the field, right? He's going to have all of this speed around him. And I think it, you know, hopefully it'll extend his legs and make these three years, or I think it's a yeah, two year with an option for a third, but um, hopefully it'll make it worthwhile. And I think this year is going to be massive, especially, um, I don't know. How do you think about Gundogan arriving and Messi not coming? Is it like, it's obviously not a one for one because they're different players, right? But I think if Messi came to Barcelona, he was going to be more of an attacking midfield role anyways. Um, are you, are you happier that you get a player like Gundogan versus a player like Messi? All respect to Messi. I was so excited to hear these coming to the United States. I have, and you're close to him. You're in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, Miami, I guess that close, but same region of the country. So congrats to you being so close to Messi now. That's pretty cool. Um, but Messi, it just did not fit. And I think there was too much baggage there, not just from a sporting point of view, but just um, the distraction almost that it would be having him back at the club, as nice as it would be to have him there. There's too much at risk. And if things didn't go well for Barcelona this season, it could turn ugly for Messi. Gundogan just slots right in to the system that's already there. You said Messi would play attacking midfield at Barca. I really don't even know. Messi's positionless. And as a coach, it's a little bit frustrating um, and difficult to coach him sometimes. I think what Argentina national team did with him was the best. With Gundogan, um, it's, he slots right in. But I will say what it sounds to me like is unless they signed a left winger, we might be seeing more Gavi at left wing again and playing with four midfielders or just some kind of four midfielder setup as opposed to playing with uh, two outright uh, high and wide um, wingers. I mean, maybe Rafinha or Dembele on the right. But with Gunagun coming, he plays. He doesn't sit in the bench. He plays. And uh, then you have Frankie and Gavi and Pedri. So a little bit of depth there. Apparently, Cassier is in the news now that he's not going to leave. So um, I don't think he's going to play very much, but... I'm seeing uh, maybe four midfielders going forward. Yeah, hearing Gavi on the left concerns me, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, what other, I guess, uh, let's talk about, so Robert Lewandowski reportedly said no to Saudi Arabia, thank goodness. Um, what are your, do you have thoughts, like not on the like socio-political aspect of Saudi Arabia, because we, we, all, we all know how we feel about that. Um, the footballing aspect of players that are, like not at the end, um, I don't know, there's some like pretty actively good players that are being rumored to go to Saudi Arabia, and now they're not even bidding for the 2030 World Cup anymore. Uh, how do you kind of rationalize some of these? Like, it's going to stink. You know, I'm glad Kareem Benzema is leaving Real Madrid, but like, you know what's not fun? Kareem Benzema not being in the Champions League while he's still good. And like, there's other players like that, like N'Golo Kante. Mm-hmm. Like, I, how are you rationalizing this Saudi Arabia exodus in your head? I think it all changes when if a player like Bernardo Silva goes to Saudi Arabia, I mean, he's 28. That's he's in the prime of his career. That is much different than someone who's in their like middle 30s going, which has been the pattern so far. I mean, there hasn't even been a pattern so far. Ronaldo did it. Now, all of a sudden, there's just this incredible um, domino effect that's going on. But if a player like Bernardo Silva goes, then all of a sudden, okay, that is something to this isn't this is serious. Like money does talk. And what does it say about the state of international football? I think it says that players have a lot of power and football is extremely demanding and towards the end of their careers, they want to get paid. 
and uh, they have more power than ever. And Saudi Arabia can, can flex, and if you have the money, you can bring people in. Um, the MLS can't compete with that. It's amazing that people still come to the MLS, like uh, Messi, just for the sake of whatever unique. Well, I think Messi's deal was very unique, um, and there was a financial aspect to it. But I think for him, his family just said, no, we don't want to live in Saudi Arabia. But for a lot of players, um, if you're offering insane amounts of money, double, triple what they can make anywhere else, they're going to go and they're going to make it happen. And, you know, the fact that they just had the World Cup in Qatar, players went there and they said it's not so bad in that region. And, um, you know, if we can make some money and so be it, uh, we have to cash up for the end of our careers. So I don't know, maybe us romantics who wanted to be for the love of the game. It's kind of puts that into question, but something to keep your eye on because it's happening this summer and it's going to be the big story. Yeah. Like I'm partially oh for the love of the game, but I'm also partially like, I don't know, like come get your bread wherever you want. I just want to be able to watch great players play. Right. And Bernardo Silva, I don't think that'll happen if it does. That sucks because he's so fun to watch, whether he's on city, wherever he is. Uh, and that, that would just be depressing to watch him go there. Um, I don't think he will, but I don't know. It's yeah. I hope not either. Um, Can we watch the Saudi games anywhere? Are you going to become a fan of the Saudi league? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no. I, I remember I watched the um, the friendly between PSG and Ronaldo's team, and man, it was not fun. I mean, it was a total. It was a friendly, and so like nobody was playing defense. It was like five to four, or something stupid like that. But yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get invested in the Saudi league. I'm already trying to keep up with like six leagues, and there's just no way I'm gonna care about that. Let's talk about. Uh, I, I've been, I've been waiting to talk to you about the U S men's national team. There's so much to talk about before we get onto the Greg stuff. Let's talk about the actual on the pitch products. Um, we can talk about the Mexico match and the Canada match specifically, because I have never been so excited watching even like in like you going back to, you know, the U S versus Belgium in what was that two or three world cups ago. Like when I saw Gio Reyna headed on the attack with Bulligan, and it, do you say it Bulligan? Is it Balligan? Uh, Balligan. That's what okay, I'm hearing people say. It, yeah. Okay. Like watching those two guys and be like, oh, and we still have Christian Pulisic, and then also Tyler Adams is hurt, and Weston McKinney's not here tonight, and talking about the Canada match. Um, Musa, like this is. You have to be just like, not thinking about all the off-the-pitch stuff, the on-the-pitch product, thinking about where this team's going to be, heading into the Gold Cup, heading into um, the, why am I blanking on the name of the South American tournament that's happening? That the US uh, Copa America involved. next yes, year. Yes, Copa America. Yeah. Heading into the Copa America and then the World Cup. Like, this is pretty exciting. You have to be excited, right? Yeah, oh, I'm, well, I'm excited to watch the great players Okay, well, no, I'm not excited. I'm sorry, because we can't honestly not talk about the fact what they just did to spoil all the excitement by hiring uh, Greg Berhalter in return. And I'm not going to candy cut it. That was some messed up stuff right there. Totally dysfunctional. But in terms of the players alone, yeah. Um, what makes me excited is Gio Reyna. I'm sorry with all this drama. He is a, I love watching Gio Reyna. He is a proper footballer. He is a beautiful soccer player. His first touch, he's silky. He's finally playing in his proper position. Sorry, Greg Berhalter, you never played him there. You played him on the right wing like a fool. Um, and now, like, your backup assistant to the assistant manager um, puts him where he's supposed to play as an attacking midfielder, and he operates, and he looks good. That's not a surprise to me. Um, and Pepe is a great center forward, and, you know, he dropped him from the World Cup as well. You got players that are – here's what comes here's, – here's the actual, like, takeaway point. 
this team, this generation was amazing a year ago, and it's amazing now too. Better now with Balogun, he's a difference maker. But this team was also amazing a year ago. And if we didn't see it, it's because we had a mediocre at best head coach that squandered and, if anything, made them less than the sum of their parts um, throughout World Cup qualifying and even at the World Cup. I'm sorry, they didn't have a good World Cup. They didn't. They could barely score goals. Um, they did have a pretty good game against England. It was underwhelming. Anyone who understands soccer knows this. And then you have the American soccer media, the mainstream media, trying to overhype them and overhype the job that Greg Berhalter did. So I, what makes me excited are the players. But what I will tell you is that great generation of players can still be held back um, by a bad head coach who does too much and overcoaches them in a way that's counterproductive, which probably leads us into your second question about the hiring of Greg Berhalter or Greg Triple G, whatever you want to call him, um, <laughs> which I, I still can't get over. Um, I'm really just, yeah, not surprised because it's American soccer, but yeah, it happened. I Part of me wonders if, and I know you would say there's a lot of people, I, I think in their minds, they were basically like, if we can't get freaking, like Zinedine Zidane, right? If I can't convince Zidane to come then my next best choice is Greg Burkhalter. Like, it feels like that's how they were thinking about it. Like, we either have to hire one of the world's best and most legendary managers, like Carlo Ancelotti, or go get one of those guys who would never come to U.S. soccer, or we have to go back to Greg. Like, why wasn't there a middle ground, in your opinion? Well, Greg, to me, is the worst of the worst. I think he's the worst thing you could have possibly done because of the distractions. And I'm sorry, Christian Pulisic and players can say nice things about Greg. Any player is going to say a nice thing about a coach that believed in them and played and played them. And plus, if there's the chance that he's going to come back, there's no way a player is going to risk anything and say something negative about him. Uh, Jesse Marsh would have been a better choice. I, I have my criticisms of Jesse, Jesse Marsh. He's a fresh voice. He's great with players, man management. He would be interesting. He's a very positive coach. Say what you want. He brings good vibes to the team. Um, I don't think, I think he's, you know, smart. He's, the USSF would have been comfortable with him because he's a company man, uh, but he's at least someone new. So that would have been good. Um, Patrick Vieira, I thought was an awesome option. That's a middle ground, right? Patrick Vieira isn't exactly going and spending $10 million on a coach, but he's a great proven coach who has a track record in the MLS. Did a very good job at Crystal Palace. Things faded towards the end. He's very. He's a proper coach. He's a strong figure. He has pedigree as a player. I thought that would have been a really good middle ground getting Patrick Fiera. And by the way, I like the fact that um, you know in the United States of America we have a very diverse team, and we have you could have an African American coach. I think symbolically that would have been really not African American, um, but um, um, a coach who looks like the players. Basically, I think that would have been really cool too. But in the end, he went with Greg Berhalter. And it's bad because he's a distraction in the locker room now. Who knows what's going to happen with Gio Reyna? I have no idea how they can possibly ever get along again. And he was extremely underwhelming and unproven from a tactical point of view as a coach as well. But like I said, this is the USSF. We're not talking about who is the most qualified coach. We're talking about who made those people in this, you know, chummy organization the most comfortable. And I think in the end it was Greg Berhalter. Just strange, though, because they hired a new um, Crocker, this new director. And even with the new director, they came to the same conclusion. Go yeah, I mean, it definitely, it's definitely a good old boys club. And like you said, it's despite this, like, you look at the on-the-field players and pitch, and it's very much like new age, America, it's diverse. But the back rooms of the U.S. Soccer Federation is still very much, it feels like like oil money. It feels just like very old school, like handshake deals and 
you can say you have a new director in place, but it's still like there's still people, the, the shadow, right? Like the shadow realm behind the behind the scenes making yeah. decisions. And it's Crocker must have said the right thing in the interview. Like he was comfortable for them that he wasn't going to rock the boat. Did, Go ahead, did you watch Crocker. Succession? Oh, I love Succession. It's my favorite show. Okay, yeah. so then he's the Tom Lom's game, right? He's the what did he yeah. call himself? Like like the pain pillow or something like that. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Greg Berhalter's cousin Greg just yeah. a fool. You know, Greg, Greg I mean, the that's, egg. that's what we end up with. He's Greg the egg. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> and that's, gosh. The, that's American soccer for you. Succession. Just a bunch of fools. Basically. It's going to be hard. Cause like, we're going to keep chatting heading into the, this world cup cycle. And because I don't know, I, I hope he just falls into something, right? Because I, I'm worried about you because if they waste this generation of players over the next few years with a crappy, perf- like, here's the thing, they should win the gold cup walking away. They they're just more talented than everyone else. Like there's not even, yeah. they, they should dominate. Um, that's the thing, but heading into the next couple of years, 2024 and on, like they're going to be facing a lot more challenging opponents and they can't just rely on talent because all those teams have talent, right? Uh, we're going to need some tactical diversity and some smartness. And I would hope Greg learns, uh, I will just have to wait and see. Copa America will be interesting a year from now, but like you said, Concacaf is weak. You can you can you can have a lot of false conclusions in Concacaf. Mexico's a mess. Canada that was a good win, but Canada is still a team that overperforms from the talent that's on their roster. So um, we'll see a year from now in Copa America when they play Brazil or Argentina or Uruguay. That'll be fascinating, and it'll be in the United States, and they can't wait for that tournament. Uh, so we have, um, I, I've been Googling basically Copa America uh, stadiums basically every week. Um, and we still don't have stadiums, but we have tournament dates. It's going to take place between June 20th and July 15th. Um, we have confirmed teams, you know, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Venezuela. Um, I still don't see any stadiums confirmed for this, which is just driving me nuts. Yeah, uh, Atlanta would be a great stadium. I mean, they're going to sell out. That's the thing about Copa America games. There's communities from all over South America and the Americas in general, and those games are going to be packed. Not necessarily with American fans, but with fans from all the other teams. Yeah, listen, I you, you can have your little pocket of American fans. I just want it to be full. Um, the yeah, uh, the one thing about the U.S. Canada game, I mean, hosting that in Vegas. Who who made that decision? That was horrible. Yeah, it worked against Mexico because they filled the stadium, but... They did um, not fill the stadium against it's, Canada. <laughs> it's too big. It's too big of a stadium. The classical year ago, Real Madrid, um, Barcelona in Las Vegas, same stadium, it sold out. But it's just crazy that those games sell out. That was a friendly game. And then a meaningful game with a championship trophy on the line. United States versus Canada, and it was maybe 25%. Kind of sad. It was very sad looking. Um, mm-hmm. Like... I don't know, just host it. In, like, why not have it in Kansas City or Portland? That like <laughs> Cincinnati, Columbus, they're going like, to go back to the well. <laughs> li- literally any of those places, you have a sold out actual like soccer stadium. And it would have yeah. been smaller, but it would have been intimate and cool. And it just looks yeah. sad. Anyways, Nashville. Yeah, the on the field product is exciting. I'm very excited to have a lot of talent. I hope it's put to good use um, or at least like, you know, somewhat good use. And I don't know. It's nice not to roll out like a team, you know, I feel like in the past in these types of finals, we would have called in the old guard, right? It would have been in the early 2010s. It would have just been all the old guys. And it was nice to have like a very young, talented team go out there and actually like 
you know, fulfill fulfill the talent, right? They looked like they should have. So hopefully, hopefully that continues. It looked amazing. Yeah, got to give credit to the players and Balogun. I think will be a difference maker. So Dude, he is. He's so they got what they gosh. need. He's exactly what they yeah. needed. All right. Well, Nick, are you working on anything for the site right now? Yeah. Oh, real quick. And Sergio Dest, shout out to him too, right? I mean, will he come back to Barcelona this summer? Who I knows? hope not, but because he, they will just looked, let him rot on the bench. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be appreciated, but I think he needs to be in a system where he can be a wing back. I think that's what it comes down to. And uh, But he's, man, is he a good player. He's so technical and just so good on the ball. Defensively, needs some cover, but shout out to Sergio Dest. And then, yeah, coming up now, I'm just trying to, um, I don't know, like just figure out how this roster comes together. Apparently, Alemany said that this is just the beginning of the transfer window getting started for Barcelona. I wrote a piece last week saying less is more. Apparently, I've already been uh, uh, told wrong that, no, this is going to be another exciting summer on the Did market you see for the... Barcelona fans, so we'll see. So I don't know if it's been published yet, but I wrote there was a there's a piece that yeah, hasn't been published on the site yet, but there was a press conference with the VP of Economics, and basically the debt, the outstanding Barcelona debt is literally the exact same as it was before Laporta took over, like mm. almost to the dollar. So there's that. <laughs> I don't know how many more levers they can pull to push off the yeah. debt, but it hasn't improved at all. Hope there isn't another pandemic and maybe that'll it'll be fine as long as something like that doesn't happen to kill the revenue. But uh, yeah, hope they know what they're doing. Uh, it's, uh, but less is more at the same time. I don't think they're going to splash about hundred million on, any, on anyone and um, get a fullback. Uh, Gundogan was a huge signing. I think that was just honestly one of the, the best things they could have done this summer. This Faye guy who just signed the center back, left-footed center back, looks really good. I don't know if he'll play very much. Just like Julian Araujo, we'll see when he comes in. Um, will Roque actually play the season? I'm getting kind of like mixed messages about him. Vitor Roque, um, maybe as a backup, if he actually can come in, that would be a huge type of backup for Lewandowski. But main thing to me is are uh, Real Madrid going to sign Mbappe or not? And is Barcelona going to have to respond to that if it happens in order to keep pace and uh, we'll see what happens, but I think the show's about to begin for real now. Should be fun. Well, as always, Nick, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us, and we'll chat again next time. Thanks.